0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast, Australia's first barbecue podcast. This is the first episode in a series of 10 that I like to call Comp Ready, where I interview experts in all areas of competition barbecue to help you be comp ready. In this episode, I'm chatting with Adam Roberts, a father, businessman, and a co-founder of the Australasian Barbecue Alliance. It's fair to say that Adam is one of, if not the, most prominent person in the Australian barbecue scene. He is so into barbecue that not only did he co-found a governing body, but he also runs his own competitive barbecue team, Piggy Butt Brain. In this conversation, we get right into the history of the ABA, how it works, and what you need to know if you want to either compete or be a judge at a competition. Check it out.
1: This is the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast with barbecue pitmaster Ben Arnott. How long has
0: it been since your last confession? Thank you for joining me in the confessional today, Adam. The first thing I'd like to ask you is, what was the last thing that you barbecued?
1: Last thing that I'd barbecued would have been up in Hemingway's Brewery up in Port Douglas, far off Queensland. Uh, I had the privilege of heading up there for a few days uh, just recently, just to work with their head chefs up there. We cooked up some pork shoulder, some lamb shoulder, beef ribs, pork ribs, some brisket. I reckon we did uh, probably a few dozen chicken wings and some Kransky sausages. It was uh, it was a real blast.
0: Is that at a low and slow restaurant up there?
1: So the brewery up there are just getting into low and slow barbecue. They've just bought themselves an offset smoker uh, just for a little bit of point of difference. But also these guys have got a barbecue competition up that way next next year in 2017. So I just went up and just worked with the guys up there, tried to get them into the, you know, the, the flow of adding some low and slow barbecue to their menu. And, um, you know, they've been practicing for a few months, but... Um, just wanted to fast track their experience and understanding so yeah I had the good fortune of being invited up there to work with the guys for a few days.
0: That's awesome I'm, I'm very jealous of your work trips mate. All right so tell us how it all started mate What what's your first uh, or earliest barbecue memory?
1: My earliest barbecue memory would have to be the old brick pit out in the backyard Um, growing up as an eighties child. um, I think there were still quite a few brick barbecues out in the backyard from family and friends, that sort of thing uh, where you had timber or wood or whatever that could be burnt uh, and used as a fuel to, to cook the food. It was normally some rissoles or some sausage or something like that. um, But that was definitely uh, something that I grew up with in the early years and certainly my earliest barbecue memory.
0: Yeah, me too. I, I remember the, the pride that my father had when he uh, finally had the time to build himself one of those brick ones after so long of just having four bricks on the ground with a sheet of metal across the top. So we had them too. So those experiences obviously uh, helped to form you into the foodie that you are. And I understand you even had a food truck at one stage. What was that called and what did you serve?
1: Yeah, I've certainly been in and around food for for quite a few years. Um, You know, growing up, my, my dad, my uncle and my grandpa had all been in and around food businesses or chefs or cooking at home, that sort of thing. Um, it was a trip to the uh, east coast of the USA back in 2012 with a good buddy of mine, Jay Beaumont. We took our wife's over for a bit of a holiday. Um, we did a food on foot tour of New York and I fell in love with the street food over there, the, uh, the small food trucks on just about every other corner. Uh, and it was after that trip that I came home and uh, organised my own food trailer and fitted it out and, you know, went on a bit of a journey around. Most parts of New South Wales, uh, Australia, selling um, street food um, to festivals, events, uh, special events, that sort of thing. Um, It was called Yankee Deli to pay tribute to uh, the New York food scene uh, and also serve things like gourmet hot dogs, pool box lighters and soft tacos. It was, uh, was a lot of fun.
0: We don't really have much of an idea of what a of what a hot dog really could be here in Australia. So what what is a gourmet New York hot dog? What is that and what does it look like?
1: So the bun is super sweet. So you can almost say it's a brioche bun. Um, it's got a lot of flavour on its own and it's, it's really not too bready. It's actually a really soft bun. Um, so I had to work with some some bakers to get the, the right consistency in the bun to start with. Uh, but then I also went to my local butcher to get a really – nicely flavoured sausage or frankfurt as we call them here in Australia Um, so there's a lot of effort that goes into just those two basic elements Um, but then I made my own relishes and salsas and coleslaws to put on top um, just to give a little bit extra extra flavour.
0: Very nice did you do a chilli dog I love a good chilli dog.
1: Yes I did do a chilli dog I called it the Manhattan uh, it was uh, it was not too hot. It was still safe for kids, but at the same time, I had some chipotle sauce which I could add to it if uh, if Dad wanted to prove his strength to the rest of the family.
0: That sounds delicious. So, have any of those flavours and styles followed you into your barbecue?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think pulled pork in particular um, sounds a little bit sacrilegious, but I used to cook my pulled pork in the kitchen oven. Uh, probably ruined an oven or two in that process, but I uh, had the tray of water, rubbed it down, that sort of thing. But that's kind of where I learned the the, the low and slow process, even though it wasn't on a barbecue at this stage. Um, I think the main thing, though, what I tried to do was make sure that the flavours were really well balanced. Uh, I wasn't going for something too hot or too sweet. Really get that, that band. Of of making sure that the meat itself shone through, um, and that certainly carried through into the barbecue that I do cook.
0: Fantastic. So, do you have a particular favourite combination of flavours that are always a winner for you? If
1: we're talking generally, I love a little bit of coriander. I love garlic, chilli, ginger, and salt and pepper. I think they're my go-to ingredients for most dishes. Um, I mm-hmm. think you can do really well with a lot of those. Throw in a little bit of smoked paprika and some onion powder or something like that. Um, I think you can do some wonderful things with just about any cut of meat with those combinations.
0: That sounds like um, like you got quite a bit of Thai inspiration there, mate.
1: Yeah, maybe the maybe the Australasian influence, who knows?
0: <laughs> oh, nice. I see what you did there. Very nice, very nice. So uh, as well as being a co-founder of the ABA, you're also a successful uh, competitor in your own right. Can you tell us the name of your team and how the name came about?
1: So the team name, and I'm a one-person team, mind you, so it's not a, it's not a big group of us under this banner, but um, the name of the team is Piggy Butt Brain. Uh, I started um, competing earlier in 2016. Uh, I wouldn't say I've been overly successful, but I've enjoyed every single competition that I've uh, I've entered. Uh, I have picked up one trophy. It was back in uh, my first ever comp in Parramatta. Um, I got a third place call up in Lamb which, you know, Jay and Jess will love this, but it makes me the winningest ABA co-founder uh, to date. So it's, uh, it's, it's a high achievement. So from a successful point of view, I'm, I'm at least successful within our small group. Um, but, you know, uh, the team name came about a little bit of a, a jokester, a little bit of a laricking, I, I believe, but uh, I don't take myself too seriously. And if you have a look up online, there's a little uh, video clip on YouTube called "Siggy But Brain, C I W G Y butt brain and I thought well if I just change the C to a P um, some people would get the reference if they'd seen the video. Uh, video is probably not safe for kids so when you look it up maybe do it in the privacy of your own office or something like that but uh, yeah I think it was a bit of a bit of a take off on a, on a little video clip that was uploaded a couple of years ago uh, but the name, the name you know it's certainly got a few chins wagging and it's sort of uh, it's stuck so I'm, I'm happy to keep running with it.
0: I'm going to have to go look that video up now once we finish here. Can you tell me a bit about, the, um, about that lamb that you did cook up? I understand there's a bit of a story behind that.
1: Yes, yes. Um, always want to be, to be quite truthful. Um, I'd essentially overcooked my lamb. I had some lamb mini roasts that I was cooking um, and I probably peaked a little bit too early. It's, it's a common, common issue for some of us competitors as well, knowing exactly when to put your meat on and when to pull it off and when to rest and that sort of thing. But I definitely overcooked the lamb, and my bark wasn't quite uh, wasn't quite hitting the you know the mark that I was after. Um, so I ended up trying to improvise. You know, 20 minutes before the hand in box, um, I had to really just pull these lamb mini roasts apart and try and you know scramble something together. So I broke open the mini roast, found a nice little money muscle in there, uh, popped them in the box with a little bit of pulled lamb, and you know I was happy just to get something out to the judges because there's no way I didn't want a hand it. You know, I just I just put it in there. And then next thing you know, Prezo, get a call up for third in lamb. It was just, it was unbelievable. I'd actually thought I'd nailed every other dish, but I, I hadn't. Um, it was the lamb one that um, they, they came through on the day for a call up.
0: Very nice. You mentioned before that you're the winningest ABA co-founder. So who do Jay and Jess compete with?
1: Uh, well, it's a little bit of a uh, inside joke because Jay and Jess don't actually compete. It's just me. So, you know, it's just one of those little things that I have over those guys, a little bit of a. A little bit of a fun uh, thing we have between us, but uh, I'm sure if Jay or Jess competed, I would probably be third on that ladder,
0: I can tell you. (laughs) So it's more of a laying down of the gauntlet then?
1: Oh, absolutely. It's an invitation, that's for sure.
0: Excellent. Did barbecue always come easy to you? What was the learning curve like for you?
1: Uh, having been in and around the kitchen for probably twenty years or so, um, the cooking part was actually uh, quite easy to adapt to. Um, you know, I'd I experimented a lot with meats and 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 spices and and that sort of thing. So the cooking part was okay. It's just managing of the fire, um, presenting of the meats. You know, different techniques of cooking. That was something that I really enjoyed learning. Um, that's also where the challenge is, I think, with competition barbecue, making sure you, you know, hit the right temps at the right time, get the right textures, but then also, you know, there's this whole element of food presentation that's, um, you know, if you mess that up, you're really setting yourself up for not a, not a great afternoon. So I think trying to manage the fire, manage your timing and the presentation of your meats, it's, it's such a technical challenge that it's really quite um, it's quite enjoyable. Um, but it's, there's a lot of personal growth and development
0: in it as well. You're listening to the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast with barbecue pit master, Ben Arnott. Alrighty, Adam. So I've asked you here today to talk to us about the ABA. So let's talk turkey, as they say. The first most obvious question is, what is the ABA?
1: The ABA is a... or uh, well, an... Australian uh, competition um, barbecue sanctioning body. Uh, We're a non-profit organisation. We also have a mission of trying to promote low and slow style barbecue in Australia uh, and also um, around Australia. So that's where the Asian part comes from, Um, moving into New Year. Uh, coming. So 2017, we'll be moving outside of Australia to, to set up some things out there. But we're a body that's predominantly formed to sanction competitions and to help deliver barbecue competitions around the country uh, and in our region. Um, but also, we're a great resource for everything from product reviews to um, uh, to any tips and tricks and you know educational videos and things for uh, low and slow barbecue. And we also work with some um, industry leaders and bodies and businesses to help introduce them to low and slow barbecue.
0: So is that the, the the mission of the ABA ultimately to spread the word of low and slow?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah low and slow and barbecue. So there's a little bit of a distinction between low and slow and barbecue. Barbecue for me personally, um, but also what what we're looking at as far as the ABA is cooking over meat uh, cooking meat over charcoal or wood, wood products, that sort of thing. Low and slow is definitely a, a method Of barbecue, Um, So those two, you know, I wouldn't say they're exactly the same, but at the same time, uh, most of our competitions have a huge element of low and slow barbecue, but we still allow barbecue generally as part of our competition.
0: So how did the ABA come about? Are you co-founders or childhood friends or something?
1: Very close. Uh, Jay and I met through a, uh, we were actually working in a publishing company together uh, probably about 14 or so years ago um so we'd, we'd come quite close we'd been work colleagues um we'd always had uh worked with each other on, on various projects over the years um I think the ABA come about off the back of Jay's vision for you know holding a, a music festival with a, a barbecue competition in Port Macquarie back in 2014. I uh, came over for a beer and a cigar as we all always had done and said hey I've got this awesome idea uh I'm going to run a barbecue competition and uh so I'm, I'm sort of thinking, okay, well, there's only so, so many ways you can pre- present a sausage or a rissole and I had no idea what he was talking about. Um, but, yeah, the, he had this great vision and, you know, he's like that. He's, he's probably the visionary of our group and, you know, he's always pushing boundaries and um, creating things from not much. So, you know, it was a pleasure to get involved in the first Port Macquarie event. Um, but the first Port Macquarie event was something that, you know, we weren't quite sure, um, you know, how it was going to go. But um, you know, after the after the first event, um, Jess did the the MCing at the event, and we got together as a as a trio. And said, look, we think this went really well. The teams have really jumped on board. They want you know some more of this. Why, why don't we have a go We're trying to replicate this somewhere else? So we decided, okay, what's the best vehicle to do this? We formed a non-profit association and we had a, a second event back in 2014, which was Bangalore year one. And, you know, Fletcher Patanen, he was our first ever promoter um, That uh, that asked the ABA to, to sanction his event, so we wrote some rules and, you know, uh, a system of judging and processes and that sort of thing. And But Fletcher had a great um, background of American barbecue as well, being from Tennessee, so he, he got it. Um, but off the back of those couple of events, you know, the ABA sort of just snowballed from there. You know, we went from two competitions in 2014 to six in 2015 and then this year in 2016 we've had, uh, at the end of next weekend, we'll have had um, 18 Um, competitions so you know it's just it's really grown out of something so small and a a small vision to you know what's you know arguably a pretty big juggernaut in australian barbecue right now
0: how many are on the calendar already for next year
1: well um officially 25 uh competitions for 2017 uh but I have written so many proposals in the last couple of weeks since we've released the schedule for 2017. I don't know where it will stop is the is the, is the best answer, um, but I would say at least 30, uh, possibly pushing 35, depending if they all come off. So it's, it's going to be a huge year for Australian barbecue, that's for sure.
0: I'm looking forward to it, mate. So what goes into launching a governing body for a sport?
1: I think the biggest thing is getting your paperwork in order. Um, uh, of the three three of us in the the ABA engine room, if you like, the co-founders, um, Jess and Jay are great at, at their respective elements. you know Jess is great with promotions and also PR, but she she knows meat back to front. Um, Jay's excellent with running events, um, vision, he's got you know graphic design and filming ability and all that sort of stuff. I love paperwork personally it's probably my strength so I think at the end of the day um, we've taken on roles that you know have have suited us as far as um, the co-founders but the paperwork's really important to make sure that um, it's consistent it's fair the rules are there um, even the strategy and implementation of of, of adjustments that sort of thing is is definitely a a really tricky part Um, you know we've you know, we've seen a few people try and start something and, you know, not, not be able to get over the line as far as a, you know, rival sanctioning body or whatever. It, it's not as easy as it looks, that's for sure. There's a lot of paperwork involved, a lot of talking to sponsors and um, partners and that sort of thing um, to get a strategic plan together to actually, you know, but also to generate some income as well so you can actually keep it going in a professional capacity. So there's a lot of behind-the-scenes work, Um I think I've been to about 15 of the what would be 18 competitions this year around the country. Uh, I've done that for a number of reasons to see how things actually work on the ground to, to refine and continuously improve what we do. So from my point of view, all that background work is done to try and make sure that, you know, we, we grow and we learn and, and we get better at what we do. Um, but there's so much behind the scenes. It's, uh, it's, it's practically a full-time job for just the admin side these days.
0: Absolutely. Now, you just mentioned that there are um, other sanctioning bodies, uh, not just in Australia, but, you know, uh, around the world. So my question is, what makes the ABA unique as a sanctioning body?
1: Well, we're the only Australian sanctioning body. That's pretty unique. So <laughs> that's a good good place to start. Good point. Um, yeah, just throw, throw that out there, a little bit of self-promotion. <laughs> uh, so we're, we're unique from that point of view that we're the only um, Australian-grown sanctioning body from, from this particular region. Um, but also we have a unique set of rules, uh, regulations, uh, the way we train judges, that sort of thing, but also categories. Um, there's so many things that are different with Australian barbecue than some of your traditional American-style barbecue competitions. Um in the, in the aspects I've just mentioned. Um, so what, what we haven't tried to do is emulate or replicate something from another country. Um, we've tried to build something quite unique. Um, and I think, I think we've, hit, we've hit that already, but always looking to expand and grow and improve as well.
0: So building off, the, off that question, what makes an ABA competition unique and extending on that again, what makes the, the Australian barbecue scene in general unique?
1: I would, I would say straight up that the categories that we do have in um, competition barbecue in Australia, right down to the, the cuts of meat, um, uh, seafood, it's, it's something that's, that's not prevalent anywhere else in the world. Lamb, we're really committed to pushing Aussie lamb for sure. Um, that's a big point of difference for us. Um, I think with our beef category, it's pretty open. 2017, we'll see some adjusted categories, which will include brisket as a single category instead of an open beef. But what we've tried to do is is promote creativity uh, for, for teams, but also um, take into account also that... Uh, wherever you are in australia you may or may not be able to get the best produce you can as far as barbecue cuts and so we really try to open it up to make it as fair as we can for everybody so you may not be able to get you know a nine score wagyu beef in your hometown but you may be able to get some killer beef cheats and that sort of thing um so we've, we've tried to take into account um the, the actual situation here in australia as far as sourcing meat uh you know pork ribs is another one as well you know um not that easy to get pork ribs but you know we also have a pork category so you know each competition has got a different element to it the promoters actually pick the categories from a list that they're offered um but the the unique things for us are um the regional variations you know burley heads uh, barbecue competition they've kicked off the seafood category and that's something that you know uh, is unique for australia but but lamb is one that we do push and that's probably the biggest point of difference i'd say
0: you briefly touched on my next question there a moment ago. I was, my next question was going to be, what is the relationship between a promoter and the ABA?
1: Yeah, it's, it's actually a really good question because um, there's a lot of people that get a little bit confused as to the ABA and who we are and what we do. The ABA is not a promoter of events, so we don't actually run any events from an event management point of view. The ABA, the ABA is there specifically to run the process of the barbecue competition on behalf of the promoter. So there's, there's actually this, this big divide um, between the roles of what a promoter does and what the ABA does. So, you know, we, we get some feedback from, um, almost um, religiously straight after a competition on how the ABA could improve a particular event. Uh, So part of my role as admin and uh, talking about barbecue in general is just to try and make people aware that the ABA doesn't actually run the events. They just adjudicate. They run the process. um, But the promoter is the one that makes most of the calls, if not all the calls, on how the event itself is run. But having said that, um, we've got so many awesome promoters here in Australia who are putting their hand up to to try and make their event unique, um, different to another event. Uh, so there is a point of difference. So that's where you'll see some promoters picking different categories to other events, trying to introduce new categories. We're always open as a sanctioning body to have a look at new categories. Um, we've got some great examples of actually allowing that during the season. Um, but also we work very closely with those guys to get feedback as well on on how things have gone, where we could improve as a sanctioning body. Um, and so we, all, we roll all of that up into, you know, trying to continuously improve everything we do.
0: I understand that um, that the promoters are able to choose from a uh, group of categories that have been sanctioned by the ABA. Can you just give us a bit of a run through what those categories are and what kind of uh, what cuts of meat are permitted in a competition?
1: So the categories that um, promoters have to choose from going forward. So we're coming to the end of the 2016 season. There was a number of categories. 2017 categories have already been announced. Um, so looking at those, if we can, going forward, um, we've got um, championship series categories. Uh, we've also got event brand championship categories, and then we've got non-brand championship optional categories. So there's, there's different levels of categories to start with. Championship series categories are the, are the, the categories that are, will add up to points for the leaderboard. So, you know, a promoter must pick at least three of those, um, but then they're free to pick a fourth category as a minimum, but they can have up to six categories at an event to start with. Uh, as long as we get at least four championship series categories um, that we are able to, to get some points out for the leaderboard, that's, that would be minimum. Most events go for four categories. Um, championship series categories include brisket, which is a whole brisket or the flat or the point or a bit of both. So we don't really have restrictions on how you can present that brisket. Um, Chicken, we can have any cut within that. So you can, um, you know, present that uh, chicken hand in with any type of cut from chicken, as is with lamb as well. So lamb is any cut. Beef category going forward will just include brisket, beef cheek, ribs, or chuck. Um, beef ribs we've actually pulled out as a separate category, which can be short, back, or chuck ribs. Um, the pork category, uh, we can do shoulder, neck, or Boston butt, and then again, pork ribs, baby back, spare, or St. Louis cut ribs. So they're the championship category. So the promoter can pick three or four of those if they'd like. Um, and some of the more exciting categories for me, uh, but also some of the competitors. Um, up in Rockhampton in 2016, we had a category called the Brahman Hump, which was really quite exciting to watch um, be cooked but also judged as well. So that's a, that is That is an event we will allow to add up to points for that individual event, but it's not a championship series category event because um, it's really not a widely um, cooked or utilised category throughout the championship series. But also seafood as well. Seafood's a category that will add up to a, an individual event Grand Championship total. Uh, but then we have some really cool other categories. Some of these are for, you know, the, the punters as much as anybody. We've got Whole Hog coming in 2017. We've got Mystery Ingredients. An example of that could be, you know, a promoter's challenge. They might throw a couple of stakes to the teams and say, look, we're going to do a steak challenge or something like that. Uh, and also uh, Chef's Choice is another one that we can see on the circuit.
0: That's quite comprehensive. There's lots of really interesting things in there. I think that the uh, whole hog category in 2017 is going to be quite a crowd drawer.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think uh, my notes suggest that at least three whole hog uh, 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 category competitions uh, in 2017 and maybe four. Um, So it's definitely something that is starting to get some momentum. So, you know, I think we'll, by the end of the year, probably see quite a few. Uh, wins and losses and draws in that particular category, I think as everyone feels their way through it. Um, but we'll, we'll have some rules um, announced in the next couple of weeks on how teams can go about, um, you know, delivering on that category.
0: Sounds good to me. So once the, the cuts of meat have been cooked and are ready to go, how are they presented to judges?
1: So all ABA comps um, stipulate uh, as part of our rules, that all the meat must be presented in a nine by nine inch uh, container, um, with or without garnish. Um, there's there's a whole bunch of rules that are on our website um, ozbarbecue.com.au that um, really determine how things must be presented inside the box for all categories. Um, there's not there's not a huge amount of variations on how you can present some of these things, so that's why we try and open up the, the cuts a little bit to you know create a little bit of variety in there. Some feedback has suggested you're not comparing apples with apples, but, you know, you start with a, a raw piece of meat, you can, you can cut it so many different ways and present it so many different ways and, you know, some are harder than others, like pork shoulder or butt, you know, pulled pork, that sort of thing. You still can get some variations through those, but the presentation is a pretty unique part of the process. Um, for 2017 going forward, we've actually simplified the presentation process where the teams uh, will have an opportunity to just uh, simply put six portions in the box, which are up to a small handful or about 50 grams, which will cut down on um, some of the the questions about whether people can or should put in eight, nine, ten or even seven ribs in some cases uh, into boxes and whether that's appropriate or not. So we've actually tried to simplify a lot of things as far as the handing process to make it a little bit more uh, flexible um, but also, you know, one thing is with writing rules that you can enforce and can't enforce. Um, we're trying to make it as as user friendly for the teams as possible, and also promote a bit of creativity in the boxes.
0: I think that's going to be much appreciated moving forward into twenty seventeen. Can you walk us through the judging process, please?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So every judge that judges at an ABA sanctioned competition must. Be run through a judges' course. So every ABA competition um, bar none in 2017 will have a judges' course at the start of the hand-in day. So normally first thing in the morning before anyone actually judges any any uh, any hand-ins. Um, so one of the head judges or leading uh, members of the ABA crew will run that judges' course. Uh, run. judges through the expectations of the day, the process, but also some of the tips and tricks as far as texture, presentation and and taste and the weightings of such. Um, One thing that we're we're very big on is not allowing anyone to judge ABA um, competitions who haven't gone through that training. Um, I don't believe there has been even one person that's judged that hasn't done the training at some point. So... Um, just making sure that we have our judges trained is, is the most important part. Um, again, moving forward, 2017, we've got some uh, great improvements on that. 2016 and, and, and prior to 2016, um, uh, obviously the, the ABA needed to draw some sort of income to cover insurances and costs and that sort of thing. So the judges course was $30 for the person um, to sit the course. Um, 2017, it will be a free course. Um, we've been able to draw some some major sponsors. So we just don't want any barriers to people coming and judging and, and getting involved. So being able to offer that for free next year, I think it's a great step forward. Uh, but one of the, the things that I'm most proud of as well that um, we've rewritten the judges course and we will actually be putting that online for public to see. Um, so teams and or judges or anyone else can see exactly what we're looking for. Um, so, you know, it's going to create a, um, I guess a transparency that I don't think we've seen in, in barbecue before, um, but at the same time we're pretty excited to see how that goes. Uh, you know, if everyone knows what, what to you know aspire to as far as a hand in and the judges know what they're looking for, uh, I think we'll be able to even out some of the, the, the scoring as well. Um, we get plenty of feedback about judges scoring low and judges scoring high. We don't get too many complaints about the high scores, but the low ones are another matter. Um, so what we're trying to do is build in some processes in judging to make sure everyone's on the same page as, as much as we can.
0: Yeah, I don't think anyone's ever going to come forward and say, hey, listen, Adam, I really don't deserve this 10.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly.
0: Are you able to tell us um, or give us a sneak peek into what some of those changes are for next year or do we need to wait until that's actually published? Yeah, I mean, the, as far as judging? Yeah, in, in terms of um, you were saying that there's changes made to the judging course?
1: Yeah, okay. So I think I think what we've done is tried to be more – Thorough in our um, presentation of what judges can expect to see in the box, but also expanding on presentation and also texture a little bit. So the course is fundamentally the same as what we've done, you know, 2014, 15, 16, but we're actually taking a bit more time to further explore what is a great texture, you know, what is what are we actually talking about by a balanced taste and providing a lot more photo evidence to support what we're trying to put forward. Um, so you'll see a lot more um, good, bad and otherwise photos of, of, of a presentation that's not quite up to par. Uh, but a presentation that is actually really quite smart looking. So uh, a lot more photos in there, a lot more description around the actual um, texture elements that we're looking for, Um, but also with the scoring itself. um, One thing I didn't mention before, the judges have a scorecard. They score on presentation, texture and taste. Um, All teams should know, um, but we're going to reinforce the points that presentation is The lowest weighted it's out of 10 Um, texture is out of 20 and uh, taste is out of 30 now the judges score out of 10 for each of those our computer system just does the adjustment Um, but if teams know that you know an extra couple of points in um, in taste is so much more valuable than than presentation so we're actually explaining things a lot more in depth um, so there's no confusion and i think that'll just you know uh, it will certainly help some of the teams that are wondering, you know, what, what exactly the judges are looking for or where they need to improve.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's it's worth noting too that even though the presentation points are weighted the lowest, it can still often be those few little points on the end that uh, that will separate teams at the end of the day. I mean, we've, we've just seen most of this season, we've had uh, two teams tied in first place for most of the season. And, um, yeah, it, it's funny how just – just even just the slightest little points so like that can make such a big difference. So to help out new teams who are looking to start competing, could you outline what measures are in place to ensure that the judges don't know whose meat they're testing?
1: Yeah, great question. So we have a blind judging system. Um, every team uh, is allocated a unique um, number, and uh, I think it's a numeric alpha number that is uh, put on the box as soon as it's handed in so a team will walk up to the hand in table they will present their box they will they will quote their team name um, our uh, reception person at the hand in table will write a unique number on that box which correlates with our scoring system so the, the judges themselves will only see a white box or a, or a cardboard box or whatever it is that's presented nine by nine box with a a number on top and they will record that number as that team's identifier so they, they have no idea whose box they're actually judging. Um, there's a few unique presentations that a few teams have put online as far as, you know, trying to, you know, show off that, you know, they've, they've done a great job on a particular hand-in. But there's a lot of teams copying other teams presentation as well so even if the judges think they know whose box they've got they can't see the other 15 20 40 boxes that are going out to the judges tables so you know there's no real way a judge will ever know whose box they have judged even if they think they know Um, from a, a supervisor's point of view or a head judge point of view we may see five teams trying to copy another team Thinking that that's the winning formula, so there's there's no way possible that a judge is ever going to know whose box of judge, um, and that's really because of that blind judging system. Um, so we go to lengths to to make sure the judges can't see the teams as they're presenting boxes as well, so they can't follow a box visually. Um, but we'll put a lot of systems and processes in place to make sure that the judging is as, um, is is unbiased and blind as possible.
0: That sounds very fair. So for people who may not understand the entire process what would happen say if I was to make a nice presentation of pulled pork and then with my sauce bottle squirt SHC across the top of my my uh, pulled pork
1: well um That would be an interesting one from a head judge's perspective. Um, The judge's course will also uh, notify the table captain. Um, They'll have a separate session to head uh, to the judges um, where the head judge will work with those guys to help pick up on some infractions. Um, Infractions are all listed in our official rules on our website. Um, So teams will know that they can't do that sort of thing straight up. Um, But if something like that is presented to a judge's table, um, the table captain or the head of the table will normally pick up on that sort of thing as soon as that box is open and then alert the head judge straight away. So the head judge has got a pretty important role there to adjudicate on that. Um, so if there's any identifying marks whatsoever on the box or in the box or there's a questionable presentation or there's an infraction, um, the head judge has the call on, on what to do with that. So we've got to make sure our head judges are very fair, unbiased, but also very skilled in picking up you know those types of things as well. Um, it's very, very unlikely that anything like that would get through. Um, but at the end of the day, we've got enough people on the ground trained to pick up on that sort of stuff to make sure that there's no unfair advantage. But the other thing that um, is really important, the, a- the ABA takes a pretty dim view on anyone trying to rig or game the system as far as judging. And, you know, if there's any... Any evidence to support, you know, cheating or otherwise, um, we won't we won't make any bones about banning someone for life from judging. Um, you know, that's that's how that's how serious we would be about, you know, seeing anything like, you know, trying to communicate with the judges about someone's box. So, you know, we'll investigate every issue on its merits, but we'll take a pretty pretty strong stand on it. That's for sure.
0: Firm but fair. I like it. I like it very much. So, what would be the first step then for people that want to get involved in competitions?
1: I think the, the best way to do it is grab some mates, grab some friends, just get in and have a go. I think you learn so much by just doing it just the one time. Um, you know, if you're lucky enough, enough to get a call up on your first attempt, you've done something amazing um, and should stick with it, that's for sure. Um, it's, you know, it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, I think competition can be a little bit daunting for your first one, but I think when you get there, you experience the camaraderie between other teams, the atmosphere, you know, the the pressure, uh, you know, you might be spent at the end of the weekend and just exhausted, but I can guarantee you'll wake up on Monday or Tuesday and go, okay, when's the next competition? I'm ready for it. Let's go.
0: Yeah. Once you're hooked, you're absolutely definitely hooked. And if people want to have a crack at judging, how would they go about getting into that?
1: So what we love as part of the ABA community, families, we encourage anyone to have a go at either competing and or judging. Um, anyone with any background in, in food or otherwise can simply contact the promoter of the individual event because um, the promoter themselves, they run the, the list of teams and also the list of judges. So the A. The ABA team won't know who the judges are until much closer to the event, but what we have seen in, in previous years is that judges' spots fill out really quickly. Um, so as soon as you see a, a competition announced and you even are remotely interested in it, uh, to put your name down uh, with the promoter directly, not through the ABA, through the promoter, because um, they're the ones who going to manage the, the list of judges um, and allocate the judges as well. So, you know, get in as quick as you can, Um, But we'll do the rest. We'll train you before the event itself uh, and make sure you're ready for judging.
0: In, In my opinion, being a barbecue judge is one of the best gigs around. You get to hang out, you get to meet all the people, and you just get to kick back and eat some of the best barbecue food Australia has to offer. So it's a very good gig.
1: I agree. This segment is proudly sponsored by Coastline Barbecues and Heating. With stores in Oxenford, Southport and The Tweed, they are the Gold Coast's only Weber specialist.
0: Okay, Adam, we're in the third segment now. So we've got our live participants here with us. We've got uh, Matthew, Rowan, and Mike with us. And I've got a couple more questions over here from people that couldn't join us live. So I'll read their questions out to you. You can answer them. Then I'll throw the mic over to the gentlemen that are here. And at the end of that, I'll ask you to uh, pick which which question you think is the winning question, and they will receive our $25 gift voucher from our sponsor, Coastline Barbecues. All righty, so... Daryl asks, what is your view of marinating? It doesn't seem as popular with contemporary barbecue competitors.
1: Okay. So for me personally, um, I don't marinate anything that I can think of. Uh, I'll definitely brine and I'll, I'll, I'll rub, but I, I don't do a lot of marinating at all. Not quite sure um, it adds too much to low and slow cooking, but sourcing during the process is something that I definitely do. Um, so if we're talking marinating, no, I don't, I don't normally do it. I don't, I don't know a lot of people that actually do it as well, um, but definitely dry rubbing something, putting it in the smoker to get some of that smoky flavor up through the meat uh, is something that's really quite popular.
0: Excellent. Uh, Jared would like to know what has been your secret to success with the ABA and what expectations did you have for it when you started it all?
1: So it's an interesting question, success. Um, you know, success to someone may be different to someone else. I think seeing the competition circuit grow from even from six competitions last year to 18 in 2016, I think that's a measure of success in the in the competition side of things. Um, what I really focus on as probably more the GM more than anything is that we're able to sustain what we do as an organisation. So this year we've seen a lot of um, corporate sponsorship come on board and actually support the ABA as, as a sanctioning body, which has helped us to deliver on the ground. Um, and we've got agreements out to 2018 already. So for me, you know, making sure that we're actually sustainable in what we do has been the main focus. Uh, and I think, you know, being able to keep doing what we're doing for a number of years yet to come, I think that will be a measure of success. Um, and the short-term wins, obviously, you know, having—I think we had about hundred teams um, this time last year to two hundred and four teams now. Uh, that's a huge improve on the number of teams. But um, most of those have competed in an ABA competition, which is fantastic. Um, but we've been able to be, obviously deliver a, a product, a, a competition um, series that um, you know that very few in the world have been able to do for a whole country. Um, and call a genuine championship series. So, you know, there's quite a few milestones that we've hit. Uh, It's for others to decide whether we're successful or not in a whole bunch of areas, but, you know, the measure of success for me are those ones that I've just mentioned.
0: Very nicely answered. I guess one of the big challenges too, you, you sort of briefly mentioned um, running a national competition is just the size of our nation as well. I mean, you are saying that, that, that you've attended 15 out of 18 competitions. I mean, I I know that you've flown back and forth a couple of times to uh to WA. I mean that's that's literally one side of the continent to the other.
1: Yeah, and the uh the return flight on the red eye, it's uh it's a tough it's a tough gig, but at the same time I would never complain about my job, you know, travelling the country, catching up with so many awesome people, different uh different towns, cities, every competition is unique and every group of people is, is obviously unique as well. But you know, it's like catching up with friends and family every time you, you go to a, to a competition or, or a new town because everyone has this love and this passion for barbecue. So it's a big country for sure. I think I've had something like 22 trips in the last nine months alone, which are outside of New South Wales where I live. So, you know, it's been a, it's been a lot of plain food, I can tell you. It's not, it's not the greatest, but uh, you know, when I get on the ground, have a few beers with the boys and girls, that's, that's, that's the awesome part of the job.
0: It's a very good gig, mate, a very good gig. Okay, Daniel wants to know, do you feel added pressure to perform in piggy butt brain because of your standing in the ABA?
1: Oh, dear, oh, dear. It's a good question, that one. Um, as I said in, in segment one, talking about piggy butt brain, I don't take myself that seriously. Um, all of us have probably got some competitive streak in us that, you know, want to do well. I think I probably put more pressure on myself to perform for from, from my own reasons than worry about, you know, what other people might think. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's a two-edged sword. If I, if I cook like a, uh, a donkey, everyone's going to go, well, wh- what are you doing running an organisation? You can't even cook. So there is absolutely some pressure there. Um, but I try and balance that out by, you know, um, keeping it in check a little bit. I'm, I'm there for a, for a whole range of reasons competing, not just to, to win trophies. I uh, haven't won very many of those anyway. So for, from my point of view, it's just getting on the ground uh, enjoying the experience, um, learning from it on a personal level, but also you know giving me a better depth of understanding on the competitions themselves and you know how we can improve things for comps going forward.
0: Well, I think as long as you're keeping uh, Lucas in his place, you, you're you're uh, doing the right thing, mate. <laughs> Thank you. All right, I'll pass the mic over to Rowan. Rowan, it's your turn to grill Adam, mate. Here
1: you go Adam. Um, I was just actually wondering, obviously, in the States, there's regional flavour profile preferences, if you like. And obviously, considering you've been traversing the country the past year, I was just wondering if you've noticed whether or not we're developing a, a similar kind of pattern. It's a great question. I had um, I had the good fortune of spending a few days with Tuffy Stone in Sydney um, in February earlier this year, um, We talked at length on regional variations on flavour preferences and and judging and that sort of thing. So it's a very real thing. Um, But what I've seen across the country is a very stable set of uh, judging criteria but also preferences for flavours and that sort of thing. The only ones that really stand out at some of your larger events, um, you'll get judges who are a little bit more open to um, experimentation and that sort of thing. So you can maybe go a little bit uh, a little bit left of the middle when it comes to flavours at some of the larger events. But at some of the smaller events, the, the judges are normally refined and hand-picked, and they're normally someone with a very strong food background. That's what I have seen. Uh, so from experience, um, the best example I can give you off the top of my head is probably Rockhampton, where there was a number of beef producers who were judges. Um, who would really be searching for the true, um, the true taste of the meat itself and the texture of the meat itself? So if someone was putting something through that tasted a little bit like candy apple or whatever, that wasn't featuring as well as it may do at some of the other events because some of these these guys are really looking for the meat itself to shine through as a prominent part of the flavor so it's hard we've, we've only had 26 aba events in the country i think as the years develop um as as we, we we try new things i think we'll we'll definitely pick up on some of these but it's still very early days to try and nail anything or to, to give advice on that but uh, um, the other thing is scoring as well you know um the, some of the smaller country events this may be the first time they've ever experienced barbecue so i might blow them away Um, So you might see some scoring a little higher than some of the city events where, you know, there's some some barbecue restaurants around town, that sort of thing. So there's, there's a lot of things to consider. I don't think I've picked it just yet, but they're
0: just some of the things that I've picked up. Pitmaster Mike, it's over to you. Yeah, good day, Adam, and thanks, Ben. Uh, my question is, uh, and you touched on the, the increase in the number of um, ABA barbecue comps in 2017. Um, I think you've previously been involved in the scene, uh, adding barbecue comps to their events to cash in on the popularity of the sport. Uh, just wondering what strategies does the ABA have to ensure um, the new events have the same sense of community and fun that ABA members and competitors love about events like Port Mac, Burley, and Meatstock,
1: just to name a few? It's a great question. Um, When I deliver a uh, team brief at any event, um, I've done quite a few, I always try and make sure that the teams that have gone around and competed before... Um, are there to support some of the newbie teams. I think what a big push from the ABA in particular is to develop a culture of mateship and and a sense of community amongst the teams themselves. Um, Each event is going to be slightly different. They're going to have different demands on, you know, know, what the general public want to come and see and have a look at and that sort of thing. But because the ABA doesn't actually run events itself, it's more of a, a sanctioning body that runs a particular process within an event. We're really we're really dictated to a degree by what the promoter is asking us to you know, be a part of um, the other thing is we will work pretty closely with the promoter before an event make sure that we give them as much advice and Um, you know, share the experiences that we've had with events across the country to make sure that they've at least got a great foundation to start with. Um, Some of the biggest city events, they're really a a logistical challenge on a number of levels. So, you know, we can see some issues with bumping in, bumping out, you know, that might upset a few people here and there, but we try and limit the, you know, the exposure to some of those issues, that's for sure. So we do a lot of work with the promoter before the event even um, comes to fruition. Um, But we'll also not necessarily reject events before they get going but we do pick and choose and we have the ability to do that now um you know uh, the events and promotions that we want to be a part of from an aba point of view but that's in aid of making sure that every event that we do sign uh, up to support is at a high level um so there's definitely some minimum sanctioning terms and Conditions that we'll put um, up front to make sure there's at least a, a minimum level for each competition going forward of things that the promoter needs to do and cater for. Um, we're seeing most promoters meet those uh, and go forward. So, you know, the, the promoters are probably the most important people in competition barbecue, in my opinion. Um, that's why we work so hard with them. We may do something like 40 or 50 hours work with a promoter before an event. Um, so, there's a huge amount of dialogue that goes on from from helping with processes and with council applications and all that sort of stuff before things get off the ground um, and because you rightly point out there's a lot of promoters out there just wanting to bolt this product onto their festival or event they may not know how to approach it from a, a legal point of view an insurance point of view but also a local authority point of view so we do a lot of work up front to make sure that you know each event is not only unique but um, meets our minimum requirements and promotes um, a great team and community atmosphere Awesome, thank you.
0: Very nice, Adam. Very nice. All right, Mr. Matthew, your turn. All right, uh, hi Adam, and uh, again, thanks, Ben, for letting me uh, for giving me this opportunity. It's uh, it's great. Hey, uh, Adam, look, you've spoken a lot about uh, the ABA and, and you know how, how you guys formed it and and your sanctioning body stuff um, from the perspective of uh, I suppose awareness in the greater general public. What's the ABA sort of doing to promote that so it becomes more of a mainstream thing? Um, and if you can share any, uh, any maybe any plans that might be uh, on the horizon there for ABA and, and the uh, the scene in, in general?
1: Yeah, thanks, Matt. Um, as far as influencing the the, the wider community um, or, or I guess the country, I suppose with low and slow, the, the competitions themselves are probably our biggest form of uh, marketing or uh, advertisement for for low and slow in particular. Um, Without competitions, we wouldn't have a meeting place for people to come to to see what it's all about. So for us, by growing competitions, that naturally grows the exposure. Um, Going forward, 2017 and and, and beyond, we're actually going to start to try and get a few more mainstream media people into those events to, to check it out, to have a look at it, uh, to try and get a little bit more exposure for what happens there. But that will also help the promoters as well as far as their, their longevity of their comp. The more support they can get um, from mainstream media and also people coming through the event, the more likely the event is going to you know be around for the longer term. Um, as far as revealing plans for the future, well, 25 competitions next year in 2017, that's a pretty big job on its own. Uh, we've got things like uh, TV, radio, newspaper, more Uh, promotional videos instructional videos that sort of thing they're the types of things you'll see in 2017 there's so many awesome things that are coming in 2017 alone that it's um you know it's very hard to not say anything i'm so excited about some of the things that you'll see come out of the aba camp next year I don't want to give too many hints away there but um uh what we try and do is uh, as an organization under promise but over deliver so i would rather dump something on our facebook group or or our website and say hey check this out this is pretty cool but knowing full well we've been working on this for 12 or 18 months to, to come to fruition so we're a little bit cheeky like that um always trying to keep things fresh and inventive uh but keep some suspense there i think uh couple of the boys call us hype lords, if you like. Um, but, you know, just dropping a few big ones and, you know, dropping the mic on the way out the door and saying, check this out, that, that's a pretty cool way of doing things, I think. So keeping that suspense is, uh, is certainly what I like to do. Um, but at the same time, I think, you know, you can expect some pretty awesome things from the ABA, definitely for 2017.
0: You referred to the ABA camp there a second ago, Adam. Is that a bit of a hint? Is there going to be like an ABA boot camp coming up? We can all go away for like a weekend together and get some uh, some secret training somewhere and
1: Let's just say if you've ever had an idea for a a camp, a class, a promotion, an activity, um, we're probably working on it already as far as the organisation is concerned. So, I mean, this year, just for example, I mean, having, uh, and Maddie might appreciate this, um, Merrick Watts involved in Triple M Radio, um, some of those types of promotions are things that we're looking at at the moment uh, where we're bringing in major um, you know, key influencers and celebrities and that sort of thing into the barbecue space to, to try and help them um, understand it but also to promote what we're actually doing um, You know, to make sure that we are sustainable long-term. We, we need, uh, I think, a lot more people involved than less. So we're actually trying to bring in as many mainstream people as we can to help with promotions and activities. Um, so, yeah, some pretty cool things like that.
0: Very excited to hear that there's some celebrities getting involved. Mate, if you can get an ABA game show happening hosted by Tony Barber... I'm in.
1: Good call. I'd be in that for sure.
0: All righty. Well, the time has come now for you to choose the uh, the winner of our Coastline Barbecues gift voucher for the for the best question today. So I'll, I'll just run through the list of questions briefly again, just to refresh your memory. So Matt was asking about the growth of the ABA and future plans. Uh, Michael asked about the um, I guess the quality control that goes into the. Um, the promotion sides of things. Uh, Daryl was asking a question about marinating. Jared was asking a question about um, the secret to success of the ABA. Uh, Rowan asked about um, regional flavor profiles. And Daniel was asking about the pressure on you in Butt brain and your role in the ABA.
1: Okay. Uh, first up, they were all, they were all great questions. Um, I had to really think about each one so from that point of view thanking thanking everybody for their question I think I think Rowan's question um about regional differences in flavor and preferences that's actually something that uh not a lot of people understand so I think it's a great intellectual question but at the same time um I think we'll see a little bit more discussion on that one coming up in the next couple of years so um, for me, I'll I'll say uh, Ron's question on regional preferences um, because it it's got uh, it, it was a very hard one to answer, um, but at the same time, it's going to be very relevant in years going forward.
0: Excellent, very nice. Well, congratulations, Ron. We'll get that gift voucher out to you shortly. Thanks very much, Adam, and thanks to Coastline Barbecues. All right. Excellent. Thank you so very much for your time today, Adam. But before I let you go, I've got one last question to ask, and that is what would be your three top pieces of advice for new teams?
1: I think number one for me would be, um, just give competition barbecue a go. Just try it just the once. I'm sure you'll learn so much from the experience, but also don't look at it as if, um, you have to perform straight out of the blocks, um, Piece of advice number two, which is off the back of that, is when you get to a comp, cook the barbecue that you would normally cook at home. Try try not to uh, cook something that you think the judges are looking for. Um, Cook something that you're comfortable with because at least you'll then find the base level uh, of where you should be starting um, your journey into competition barbecue. And the third one, I think, would be um, have a bit of fun with it. Get involved. Meet some great new people. Um, competition barbecue is as much a social aspect as anything else try not to overdo it with the beers on your first night of competing it's a it's a rookie error Uh, but at the same time um, you know the competitions are there to catch up with people to have a bit of fun to meet new people uh, and just just be part of the culture and the the community so um, I would say definitely enjoy it
0: there you are, folks. Top three pieces of advice from one of the top people in barbecue in Australia. All right, I'm going to throw the mic over to you now, Adam. Um, you can give some shout-outs and tell people where they can track you down and the ABA down on the interwebs.
1: Awesome. So the Australasian Barbecue Alliance has a, uh, a landing point, if you like, for all of our information, and that is ausbbq.com.au. On there, you will find product reviews. You'll, you'll see links to some of our supporting partners where you can source your own barbecues, rubs and sauces. We've got uh, some instructional videos and we've also got some ways that you can get involved as either a, a business or a competitor or a judge. So there's a lot of information on that website that really is a portal to pretty much everything the ABA does. Um, the other way you can get involved is by joining the ABA Facebook group. Um, if you search groups in Facebook and look up the Australasian Barbecue Alliance. At the moment, we have nearly 22,000 people around the country who partake in sharing recipes, tips, tricks and ideas on everything to do with barbecue and low and slow. But it's also a great place to pick up uh, some news and tips as it comes to hand from the ABA team where you know we might drop some info on Uh, a food truck that's operating in your area on the weekend right through to a new event announcement coming up so it's a great place to get some some news as it happens Apart from that, I do like to thank uh, Barbecue Galore and also Kingsford, our major partners, for allowing the ABA to continue through their sponsorship and support. So it's without these guys' support that, that we wouldn't be here. So at the end of the day, if we can support the partners that support the ABA as far as a, a sanctioning body, we'll, we'll certainly see competition barbecue around for quite some time. Um, but also, big shout out to Jay Beaumont and Jess Pryles, um, ABA co-founder. These guys have put in thousands of hours of uh, free work over the last three years, along with myself. Uh, I do get resource to a, to a degree these days to help with the admin side of things, but these guys have, have, have never asked for a dollar or a dime. Um, They've certainly really assisted wherever possible to make sure Australian barbecue is as strong as possible. Um, and we've got to tip our hat to these, these guys for, you know, their solid efforts over the last few years. Um, if you've got any general inquiries on competitions yourself, you can email myself, adam at ozbarbecue.com.au or through our website uh, if you forget that address. And that is just simply osbarbecue.com.au <laughs>
0: Thank you very much for your time today, Adam. That's been an absolute eye-opener into the, uh, into the depths and the inner workings of the ABA. So I, I appreciate that and I appreciate all the knowledge that you've uh, shared with us today.
1: Thanks for having me. It's been a privilege and an
0: honor. Anytime, mate. I'll have you back anytime. I'll see you later on. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for listening to the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. Head on over to smokinghotconfessions.com for recipes, tips, and Ben's own confessions.